You're listening to the Old Time Radio Show. This is part two of the records of Pat Conte. Well, speaking of great singers, I don't, I don't, I don't want to leave this lady out. It's, her name is Janaki Bai, and is a very early pioneer recording artist from India. Hmm. And this is very close to the turn of the century, so wow. this is a really rare treat to hear this voice. You've got me excited.
Contribution to the show here today, their last record, Amadeo Arduan with Dennis McGee, 1929, Madame Ashan. Oh, that's outrageously beautiful. I wanted to play that after the uh, the female vocal, uh, um, not Turkish, but the, it was Indian, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm not sure what language she was singing in, because Jan Kibai, the singer, is... Uh, She's a master of all the dialects and languages. I don't know. She might have sung in five or six different languages all over India. What an incredible record. Yeah, she's a great, great singer. And uh, and you pointed out to me at the end of it, she says her name. Yeah, that little chant at the end <laughs> is her singing. Jean Kibai is making this record. She's like the Hindu Harry Snodgrass. You ever hear any of those records? Uh, I, I think I've heard one. <laughs> He's yeah. a piano player. Starts yeah. every record. This is Harry M. Snodgrass. Yeah. <laughs> well, she uh, she had a trademark sound, and and she just didn't want it uh, dicked with. You know. Yeah, was, she was, was great. Ugh. She's she's the Bessie Smith of uh, India, hands down. Yeah, yeah. And and so early. This is. You know, when probably between said? 1906 and 1911. Yeah, somewhere what, what in that great time. Recording too. Jeez. It's a fine recording. It's his master's voice in probably in Calcutta, and uh, they 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 were wonderful records. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I I don't have any translation. It's written in Hindustani, and and actually, I think there are some Arabic letters here. So, Urdu. She might be singing in Urdu. I don't know. No, actually, yeah, it's all in Arabic. So, the chances are this, is, even though it says Hindustani, it was pointed at the Urdu or Northern Indian hmm. market in this case. But I've heard her sing in Persian too. So, huh. yeah, she's just a, a one of the great voices, incredible yeah. of world music. This is not one of the great voices of world music, but I, I kind of like him a lot. He's a cowboy from Australia. Okay. Named Tex Morton. He's a cowboy singer. He's, you might know him. He's an Australian singer. Yeah. Because I see that's an Australian uh, regal xenophone, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and it's a really beautiful song. I, I, I My old crippled daddy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like I think you'll like it. I think I you'll like it. When daddy was strong In the hot sun He labored The busy day long 
He tried to be honest and neighborly fair Now he waits for the master to call him up there His life's work is over, he sits all alone In the old wheelchair by the fire His battle is won, the race has been run And life holds a burden since his work is done He lived for the Savior and tried to be fair Now he waits for the master to call him up there He's my old crippled daddy, I love him so dear But I drifted away from his side I'll go back today, I'm going to stay For soon the great master will call him away Papio, I, I know nothing about. This is this was a a test pressing that uh, someone had sent me. Uh, it's probably from the 30s, uh, and uh, you know, there's just kind of a type written label on it, folk folk song Tahitian. Yeah, you know. yeah. It's, it's great. This is one of those typical troops of the 30s. They would mix it up and uh, and have. On occasion, nice Hawaiian guitar, especially on that. And what do you know about that uh, Australian cowboy guy? That was I don't know a lot nice. about him, although there is a lot written about him. Huh. There was a, a box set did appear no uh, back in wow. the 70s. Hmm. Uh, a friend of mine, David Crisp, who lived in Australia, I think he annotated it. Hmm. He was a collector from, well, going back to the days of John Edwards. Uh, That's a name you know, right? 
John Edwards uh, was a famous collector of uh, hillbilly music hmm. and a researcher and a really pioneer discographer for hillbilly music. But, it, but uh, they brought to, to our attention this whole beautiful cowboy scene happening in Australia. And uh, the guy who turned uh, me on to this music was uh, the late Jim Hadfield, who was a really great collector and old man of the music. Did and he collect just uh, Charlie McCoy records? Oh, he collected <laughs> he collected anything that was good, and he was knowledgeable and a generous heart and uh, uh, just a very passionate man about many, many things. And hmm. he lived all the way up by the Canadian border, and uh, he made forays into Canada often and bring back hillbilly records uh, that were, uh, in some cases, unsold since the 1930s. We used to camp out on his property uh, with tents uh, because he had two barns that were full of literally one million seventy-eights. Wow. Would have made you. It would have made you sick just to look at it. All giant shelves of rough-hewn timber, uh, some some joists that are, you know, two feet thick of wood holding, you know, rows and rows of just Victor 78s. So oh it was, that was gosh. one shell. It would go on for 20, 30 feet, you know, all black label Victors, acoustic. That was one, <laughs> that was one of the shelves I remember. But he, he, he was into all this beautiful music that you were more likely to hear in Canada than you were in, in the States. Huh. Uh, they, were, they were hip to all kinds of good cowboy music. It didn't matter from where it was from. And, they, and there were even some locals from upstate New York that made records in the 30s, Bluebird Records, in the Hillbilly series, and they were New Yorkers. No kidding, huh. It's so obscure today that, uh, you know, they're so obscure I don't even know their names. Interesting. And we started, uh, I, I think, way back there with John Kibai, right? Well, who we talked about already. Or was that a different set? I'm completely mixed up. Well, let's talk about it. Uh, talk about it again. Uh, didn't we talk about her at length? I don't remember. But she's a great, great Indian. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Um, so, so you tell me now that you uh, have stopped collecting records uh yeah i guess you could say that uh, uh it's not uh, it's not that i'm uh, competitive about it anymore I, I don't have the means to do it anymore especially uh the way it's become you know competitive isn't even the word yeah yeah uh but uh no, i don't think i'm a threat to uh, any fledgling collectors that's for sure but uh, are, are, do you want me to believe now that as I get older, I may lose the urge for collecting, or is it just? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I would never say that. Uh, uh, the, the, there's always the urge, and uh, you, no one's going to turn down a stack of records on a curb somewhere sure. just for the thought that there's <laughs> some treasure in there. You know, uh, as long as it's as long for me personally for me as long as it's painless you know i i, I just uh, I, I can't write those big checks you yeah, know, and yeah. i never no, i never did i never i didn't collect that way and, and the generation that does collect that way today I, you know i don't want to i don't blame them uh for wanting this stuff uh, i don't want to call sour grapes and i don't want to sound too bitter about uh, not having the means to be able to do it, but no, you, you know, leave, let's face leave that it. that to Johnny Bitterman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'm sure this happened in the art world, and the rare book world, and manuscript world, and the comic books, and sure. you name it. Uh, you know, there was a time when it was uh, fun. You know, even you know, go get an old guitar. You know, and uh, yeah. before uh, before it became murderous and. Uh, well, it's funny you bring that up. I mean, one thing I always remember is when I was uh, first getting into old country blues and yeah. maybe even country, but probably, you know, my 
late teens, I just discovered Charlie Patton and Mississippi John Hurt. I was already way into guitars. I remember when Oscar Smith Stellage, you couldn't give those things away. You couldn't. Yeah. Well, I don't remember that quite. Uh, there were the, but uh, I remember guitars, guitar stores near me. If there was a super high end Oscar Smith Stella when I was a kid, maybe it was a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah, which was, you know. Well, that's the thing. Uh, maybe. Uh, an old timer when I was a kid. Now you can't would, get those. Would just, you know, look at my national guitar and just say. Oh, well, I remember those things. Those were, uh, you know, those were $20. You know, those were $10, nothing. Yeah. So you know, Sunhouse. Everything uh, changed. Sunhouse said he had a first national he bought, I think, was $1.50. Wow. Incredible. You know, I was all beat up and shitty and, uh, you know, I, but still, you know. So tell us about guys like that that you may have uh, come across in your early days. Guys like Sunhouse? Yeah. I didn't come across Sunhouse. I was lucky, but a lot of my friends did. No, I know you told me <laughs> a great story about our friend Joe Laurel driving him around, or he told me. But yeah. well, who were who some people that did Joe Laurel, is, incidentally, is the guy who used to go uh, camped with uh, out at Jim Hadfield's place. No kidding. Yeah. Huh, that's funny. He was one of the guys that would go, uh, I guess Joe introduced me to uh, Jim. Uh, to to Joe, Jim Hadfield was his real mentor. Uh, no kidding. I'm, I'm, no. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that, because uh, uh, th that was a guy who was just so in tune with old times, and and uh, I, I can't speak highly enough about him. He was just an amazing hmm. character. Really miss him. But uh, old timers, as far as music goes, or collectors. Well, both, I guess. I was talking about music, but either way, I was wondering if well, there was any I guys that you... fortunate. You know, I was like a Generation X when it came to uh, a lot of the old-timers who performed in the 60s. Just I was really kind of too, too young. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 it was not like I wasn't aware of them, because I had older cousins who, who gave me their hand-me-downs, and uh, that's really the time I relate to. The '60s was my time to relate to, just because uh, you know all the all their hand-me-downs became m the the culture that I was immersed in. So when I when I uh, when I heard uh, you know people at Newport, uh, it was just a, a, a treasure trove to me, and it didn't matter if uh, I didn't really distinguish just from their lives as '78 performers from their lives as old men and all mellowed out in the 60s and, you know, way past their prime in some cases. Right. But that wasn't always true. You know, the Gary Davis lived not far from my house and uh, uh, my friends went for lessons with him. I always put it off and I didn't really take it that seriously. But there was, there was no way that you could say he was past his prime. He seemed to get better he, and better. He, yeah, he, he continued to grow. But he was one of those cases of guys that never stopped playing. I mean, he, yes, he he was. Uh, well, I'm I'm not entirely sure of that, but I, I would I would guess so. Sure, seemed like it on the yeah. late recording. Yeah, but I don't. He's definitely I, a person no who worked at his music. Of that just by ear, I'm saying it sounded like. Yeah. He didn't. Well, he's definitely a person who worked at his music constantly. Hmm. Uh, but uh, I I still didn't distinguish from the guy who. Who uh, or gal, whatever, who w was way past their prime, and uh, it was still wonderful to hear them. And, oh sure. Uh, uh, well, some of you those can't you can't tell me that you when you hear Doc Boggs at at the Newport Folk Festival that uh, you can really distinguish uh, a very marked difference from that and his Brunswick records. Uh, you know, it's the same guy. It's just from a different angle and yeah, sure. and a different depth. And and there's a certain depth to this elegant older person playing. I agree. I think in a lot of cases, although you know, of course, you're going to be able to spot technical inefficiencies as people get older. Well, I grew, I grew to like that. Yeah, yeah, but sometimes it actually makes the music better. Yes, that's right. I and, agree. And, and I there's agree something with you about more. those guys. Sometimes when they slow down, Mississippi John Hurt, Doc Boggs, actually get even more feeling somehow. 
Right. There's a new uh, new realm of depth. It's not... Yeah. Uh, it's well, I've never been a guy that was interested in technical ecstasy anyways. Yeah. So I would never credit the quality of the music as far as its technical efficiency. Yeah. I want to feel something from it. Right. And that's first. I mean, you feel something from those guys in the 20s and... And yeah. sometimes it gets stronger as, as they go on. Right, right. The, the, the charm of a, an old record, uh, especially since we're talking about the 1920s, which is where we always usually converge and, and usually is the most interesting period for some reason. Uh, you know, not to say anything about bad about the teens and the 30s, but... Uh, it was kind of the golden age, yeah. though, recording. I mean, we, we just have we so much... Converge as collectors on the 1920s as the high. Well, if you can't find point. anything that you like in the 1920s, you're not going to find it anywhere else. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, as far as the the emotion that comes across, uh, these are these are uh, these are people who are basically born in another century. They're from another time and another place. They're they're almost a different brand of human, yeah. in a way. And you're hearing a snapshot of the of this other life from another century, unaffected by the actual media that you're hearing them through, and uh, that that kind of picture, that snapshot, is so unique and so powerful. And you only have three minutes to come across. And yes, there's coaching involved. There there was production involved. You're, t- you're basically talking about a commercial product. Let's face it. Right. But once but in these some cases, it's people, so minimal. Yeah. But once these people are put into this uh, nerve-wracking environment, let's say this unnatural place where you must create, and you have three minutes to do this creation, uh, something magical happens somehow. This uh, nervous energy, this focus. It, it it comes across, and, and now, uh, almost a century later, it still comes across. It's a timeless, timeless quality, and it's and it's really a glimpse at a time, which we can never have back. They they and and they're they're almost a different brand of human. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, when you stop to realize how young some of these performers are that we only knew as old men. And, and you hear them as young people, there, there's such a maturity there uh, uh, and an advanced uh, elegance and an advanced, uh, I don't know how to put it, uh, really. Uh, they, they've come to a, a certain place where uh, uh, their, their age just doesn't match. You know, they have a harder edge and a much... Uh, you know, a much more deeply focused life that's reflected in that music. Well, music was, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, other than the fact that at that time music was a primary means of entertainment. You didn't have TV, you didn't have your PlayStation and all that millions of other things everybody has today so that's obvious but i mean these were also the way these people told their stories and communicated you know i mean whether it was news stories or you know uh events that happened and then you had people just uh telling you their story but i wanted to ask you do you think it's ever going to be possible to have uh to ever uh, have a period of music like we had in the 20s? Well, you know, it's really, uh, in, in, some, in, in many ways, it's a ridiculous question because you have, in the 20s, some incredible professional people mixed with people who were never supposed to do anything uh, quite uh, polished or, or 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 with a product in mind whatsoever. Uh, so you have this mixture. But that's what I mean. Is I, I don't think you could ever have music again 
that was so unaffected by some kind of marketing mainstream approach to you know like like in other words we're so many generations into manufactured music now that people don't even understand in this generation what American folk music was all about or folk music from anywhere around the world as we're listening to today what we have today uh, is a, a generation of people who uh, who are computer generation and they have a, meaning they had access to so much information at, at their fingertips at all times to grow up that way so you you can have musical performers today who know exactly what to do to appear as if they're not professional exactly and uh, uh, to exaggerate all the qualities that we've come to like in some genuine old uh, uh, performance that you know we consider genuine uh, even though we're talking about commercial recordings for the most part uh, so you have the uh, you have on one hand this generation that can ape this kind of uh, naivete in music and uh, so for the people who are turned on to the music through those spokespeople uh, they're going to miss out because uh, they haven't come from the ground up and they haven't discovered it uh, the way uh, you know I the way we've been fortunate enough to discover it as collectors or whatever or as or just as musicians in general they, 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 they'll miss out on not having the stuff at your fingertips they'll miss out on the joy of discovering something or some genre or some music one piece at a time well, I guess that's what kind of hit me uh, <laughs> When I did my compilation, uh, I just did for Dusted Digital. And, you know, my, my my compilation was nothing like uh, some of your stuff, as far as the rarity and the mis mysterious kind of quality. Like when I first heard the Secret Museums, I thought I was entering a, a, another world. Time I couldn't understand, I couldn't relate to it. I loved it right away, but I wasn't even sure that I liked it. Hmm. You know, it took so long for me to process it. It was yeah, you know, a lot at once. So, yeah. so you know, mine was just kind of some records that I'd found. But at the same time, most of them were records that I had found, you know, and some of them I, I really, really loved. And uh, like Davy Miller, my pretty little Indian Apony, I never forget that. You know, I knew who Davy Miller was. I had Staggley and I had a Jailhouse Rag, which I thought was amazing. You had the, the rare ones. Right. The Napani is not the rare. <laughs> well, when I dropped the needle on that one, I it was like a life changing yeah, experience for me. Beautiful song. Yeah, beautiful song. So, and, and, you know, somebody who bought it, like, you know, told me, oh, yeah, you know, I love your compilation. It was great. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I sent it to this guy, Juneberry, so I could, they could put it up on this website so everyone can download it for free. Right. And I thought, well, I mean, aside from the fact well, that, okay. That's it, inevitable. That's going to happen. No, but, I mean, aside from the obvious thing that's, okay, well, if everybody downloads it for free and nobody buys it, of right. course, what we already know is going to happen is that none of these people are going to be able to make these anymore. But the the real thing that hit me is just like, well, if you could just go to a website and just find all this stuff and just go down in chronological order, it's not the same thing as, you know, when I found that record. And when well, I went the, you know, there's benefits, you know, it's good and uh, it comes with the bad. Yeah. Uh, the people it's just, it's that just create a document, for instance. Now, I remember before document, uh, the two or three guys were compiling reel-to-reel -reel tapes and they would take the slow speed double it up and split the track split the stereo so they could get as much as they could on you could get 18 hours on a reel uh, that way or something very close to that and the object was to record everything that was in the discography they're talking about and these guys were serious. This wasn't like a, um, you know, a joke. They they wanted every single song in the discography. I don't know, was it fourteen or fifteen thousand? Uh, what what does the pre-war catalog comprise of? It's 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 at least ten thousand. I know that the hillbilly catalog 
if you had a complete hillbilly collection, it would probably be pre-war. Would probably be seven or ten thousand records. Hmm. Is, is that accurate? I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know. I've never actually thought about it in yeah. those terms, but I guess well, it's well, about Well, there right. are people that think in those terms. Yeah. And uh, the, the idea that it would ever come to fruition was a hard thing to accept. Uh, the complete blues catalog on these reel-to-reel tapes, well, eventually it was done. When uh, Parth, Johnny Parth got involved in it and uh, created the document CDs, he systematically did it. Now, there was no regard for quality. Well, that's what I was going to say. I didn't even know if I was going to bother, but since you brought it up. There was no regard for quality, but that wasn't the point. Total disregard. That wasn't the point, because... Yeah, I understand that wasn't the point, but then why do it? You know, if you're not making it in a way in why which do people it, can uh, listen to it, why you're do just trying it to prove a point that it can be done? Well, no, why do it is, is that uh, it would have some value for reference. Well, I could tell you, as, as a listener... As a young kid, now I came across this music in LP format. There's no doubt about it. The yeah. first record I ever found, luckily, was Charlie Patton Yazoo in a used record bin when I was about 14 years old. Uh, I was mesmerized by it because I was, you know, I was a record collector. There's no doubt. I was interested in any kind of music yeah. that I hadn't heard before. But when I saw the picture of this guy, I couldn't figure out is he black? Is he white? It says blues. I know blues, muddy waters. He must be black. I'm not sure. He looks white. Then you look at the dates in the back, 1929. What? I, you know, I thought blues started in 1954. That wasn't that the earliest chess record <laughs> I could find. You know, I didn't know. You know, so I was mesmerized by it and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, slowly, very slowly, came across other LPs like it. Had nobody to help me figure it out. And when I first came across those document records i mean if that had been the first exposure to it i never would have been interested in it the first document record i got i never forget i thought this has got to be broken i took it back to the store <laughs> yeah. this is this is no good it's a something's wrong with it yeah. you know? no that's the way it is no, well it can't hold, be. hold that thought and let's let's listen to the blues record okay Mm-hmm. 
donde quiera que pronto, regándome mi pulidad, dice la gente verdad, no hay quien iguale a caro, mujer enamorada, la mujer me llamó, para que yo le cantara, y le dije como no, pensando que ella me amaba, mujer enamorada, tiempo se está pasando, si usted no me enamora, voy a Cuba y la demanda, mujer de allá viene us yet again. Mujeres enamoran. Uh, enamorene. Right, I'm, I'm not sure. I can't read this writing. Hmm. This is a handwritten label on this. This is a test pressing from 1928 from the Sexteto Nacional. Yeah. Nice. Beautiful. One, one, wonderful group. Oh, before that, speaking of wonderful groups, there's a phony name on that one. Yeah, I like the phony name. The Skillet Dick and his frying pants <laughs> <laughs> on Champion. I th- you think Crumb would like that title? I think so. yeah. I think he'd like the whole thing. Yeah, this is great title, music. The title, the record, oh my God. Yeah, that was called great. Rock and Gravel. Yeah. This comes from uh, the collection of my late partner, uh, Citizen Kafka. This is part of the Kafka archives. It's co- it, it, I love the description. It's just called Stomp. <laughs> yeah, I have to come up it's with a word, you, you know, know, like blues, like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just a stomp on the side. Uh, the actual band, this is from Jeanette, this champion. Uh, uh, on Jeanette, they're known as Sid Valentine and his patent leather kids. Both good is, names. That's another good name. <laughs> uh, and we started with that blues record, which uh, we had set off mic I remember the dealer I got it from. It was actually a very prominent collector. And he uh, he just couldn't uh, imagine why I wanted that record so bad. He said, uh, I, what do you see in this? It's just a guy with a guitar. Uh, he can hardly play. He's out of tune. <laughs> and he can't sing. And I said, well, He's got everything. well what more do you want? <laughs> He's got everything. That's great. It was Louis Black. Uh, Spanish blues. I, I I don't think it has anything to do with blues, actually. Yeah. Except uh, maybe there's a one and a four in it. Mm. I have no idea. Phenomenal. I'm sure he had no idea. That's just one of one of those sounds I love. Some wacky. Uh, is that, well, it's a little bit like uh, Smith Casey, hmm. but just not as uh, not as polished and. There's something about the feel of it that reminds me of him from uh, those old Library of Congress records. Yeah, great. Well, let's see. You've got three more for us, yeah, right? Yeah, we're going to wrap up. Uh, uh, i got one more little set of uh Well, why don't we go oddities. out with music? So before we go out, I want to thank you for... Well, no, 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 there's three more here I have. Three more. So let's, w- you, you want to do a reverse? back we'll, after that? No, let's go out with music. Oh, you want to go out? Okay. So we'll talk about them first. We'll talk and about we'll all of them? Okay. Yeah, but before we do, I want to thank you for being here. It's been a great oh, honor great. Yeah. and a pleasure, and I hope you'll come back sometime. Yeah, we'll and I know to. all of our listeners are astounded, amazed, and enlightened having oh, heard uh, records from your collection. And if they're not, turn off the radio, well, like right. I said before. Bitterman says. That's right. But no, it's been it's been absolutely uh, incredible having you here. And I know... Uh, my ears personally have been mystified. Well, that's uh, good. That's good. You know, my mine are too. Uh, you know, believe me, uh, I love hearing them. Uh, uh, they're they're fresh every time I hear them. Yeah. When it's high power music, that that's the that's one of the features. It's it's fresh every time. It's true. Yeah. And you always hear something different. So tell you us. will definitely hear something different here. This is uh, one of the wackiest things you'll ever want to hear. Red Henderson. He played uh, in an, an, another string band, which I, uh, I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember. Is it? 
Is it uh, uh, the Clodhoppers or Dixie Clodhoppers or uh, Earl Johnson? I'm, I'm not sure. Red Red Henderson is a banjo player. Huh. And this is something that uh, you might recognize. It was the, from the New York City Ramblers. Uh, John Cohen huh. had committed to memory, and they did a wonderful job of it. Still does to this day. But uh, you'll hear the original, at least part one of. Okay. The automobile trip through Alabama. Sounds good. And then uh, from Alabama, we're going to go to this. Uh, there's a home cut recording, and there's not much information on it. It says going to Asheville. I so like from it. From Alabama to Asheville. Uh, it's a blank label. Beautiful. But you might know who that is. And then we'll end up <coughs> railroading on the Great Divide. This is uh, one of those songs that I think, uh, speaking of the Ramblers, I think, uh, well, they did it and named an album after this, but I think that they got it directly from Sarah and Maybell, who said, uh, and this is the later Sarah and Maybell, after AP was long gone, they had their own little record company called Acme. Yeah, cool. And and I think this is the song that Sarah and Maybell said to Mike Seeger, uh, well, boys, you might like this song. This is a good one to do. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, uh, I remember they get, remember something like that that I got it from directly. That's right great. from the source. So I thought we'd end railroading. Cool. Well, some folks calls me red, but my hair's not red. It just got wet and rusted. That's all. But I bought me a brand new Ford the other day and put ten gallons of Woco pep in it to see how far I could drive it. I drove it three weeks, night and day, wide back for a new set of tires. I didn't need no gasoline. I drove it over the hills and hollers of Alabama. On top of one of those big mountains over there, I met an old man driving a cow to a buggy. The cow got scared of my brand new Ford. The old man taken him out and tied him to a tree. Said he'd pull the buggy by himself. So he got between the shares and started just as he got the buggy even with me, I shot the juice to my brand new Ford. Scared the old man, he run away and tore up the buggy. The cow got loose walking down the road and laughing at him. So I drove it on across a place called Bear Creek. Right on the other side of Bear Creek, I met a great big black bear. The Ford got scared, stood down, just shook. I reached in the back seat, got my hat and crawled off down the road one, two, three or four miles. Come back eight a while and found my brand new Ford standing in a broom sage patch, kicking with both hind feet and pawing like the dickens with both fronts. I looked around and didn't see no bear. I wondered what was the matter. He says, don't you see all them young airplanes lighting all on my back? I looked back down and saw a whole lot of little old yellow striped things lighting on my brand new Ford had knots on it like hen eggs. Well, that kindly made me mad. I cut me a brush and I began to thrust. They thought I was getting hot and they began to fly around my head and cool me off. So that kindly made the Ford mad. He said, load them all in the back seat and we'd take them down to the creek and drown them. I put them all in the back seat and started down the road and after the Ford kicked and pawed, it'd run all the grease out of them and it'd run a hot box. All it could say was me and you and them. I said, it may be me and you and them now, but it's just going to be you and them for a while. So I got out and was gone again about 30 minutes and come back. What he supposed I found was my brand new Ford scattered all over a 10 acre field. Well, I taken the boat back housing, taken the ramrod and poured five gallons of that Woco pep down and rammed all of that Ford down and I made me a gun to go hunt the bear. So I went down on the river and saw a drove of ducks up the river and a drove of geese down the river. I turned around and went back to the river and saw a great big rattlesnake fixing to bite poor Red. I struck a match to that Woco pep, blowed up the gun, one barrel went up the river and got all the ducks. The other barrel went down the river and got all the geese. The ramrod went down the snake's throat and killed it, blowed me back off in the river and I come out with both boots full of fish. About that time I looked up across the field and there stood my brand new Ford all back together, still didn't need no woke old pet. Yeah, one Nashville, they know how 
Bye. 